Good evening, everyone. So my name is Ryan, my wife Annabelle, and two boys are there. Um, it's a privilege to be here tonight, and so thank you, Michael and Pastor Brandon, who's not here, for uh, the opportunity to share tonight. So tonight I'm going to give the message first, and then after that we will um, share about the situation that I've been in the last year and um, a little bit about our ministry. So just bear with us on that. Um, so after the, the message, we'll show a video that will fill you in on all the details. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I was detained in Mozambique um, on false accusations. And we'll be telling a little bit of that story later um, during the video. And then we'll have some questions and answers after that. So if you can't hear me, tell me to speak up. I know I'm, my voice is a little bit quiet. But. So we'll get into the message, and then we'll do that. So um, mind if I pray? Yeah. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I pray that you would um, um, speak through me, Lord, and help this message to be honoring to you, and all that we say and do tonight to be honoring to you. I pray that we would learn more about you, Lord, and that we would learn to love you more and appreciate who you are. And... Um, just guide us tonight, and in your name I pray, amen. amen. So I titled this message, The Way of the Cross. Um, and so as, as I was preparing this message, um, my desire was to share with you guys something meaningful and in, something that would be impactful that I learned during my time in prison, which we'll talk more about later. And, but most of all, I wanted it to be something that glorifies God. So as I considered all I learned and all that I had gained a new and deeper understanding of, the one, one thing stands above the rest, and the one thing that helped me more than anything else, and that thing is the gospel, the full and true gospel. So at that time in prison, I was going through the, great, the time of greatest need in my life. It was a time of emotional suffering, of physical suffering a time of great uncertainty. I didn't know if I'd be released or if I'd have to spend 28 years in that place for doing what God called me to do. And I had many questions to wrestle with. You know, God called me to serve in Mozambique. Was he now calling me to be in prison? And how is separate, being separated from my family, God working all things together for my good? And if I was convicted and sentenced, would I still say, your will be done? And during this time, I didn't need the latest feel-good devotional. I didn't need Christian self-help books. I didn't need the me-centered, um, superficial gospel that's so prevalent in our country and in the world today. I needed the true gospel, a gospel that includes suffering. I needed the gospel that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And the gospel that says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And what was life-changing to me was refocusing on Jesus Christ and my relationship to him and my relationship to the world through him and the call to follow him at any cost. And this gospel is only found by reading and believing every word that God has spoken in his word, the scriptures. 
So with that, let's start with our verse today, which is Mark 8, 34 through 38. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So as Christians, we're familiar with the gospel, that we were enemies of God until Jesus redeemed us by dying in our place and raising himself up by his own power. And whoever repents of godlessness and godless deeds and believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. And those that believe in Jesus, that he is Lord over heaven and earth and over our very lives, those people will receive the Holy Spirit who will help us walk through this life on earth and conform us into his image and prepare us for an eternity in heaven with Jesus. But sadly, in many churches in this country and around the world, the full gospel is not preached and it's not even popular. We tend to promote a gospel where Jesus is here to serve us and that we have very little responsibility. It is preached that Jesus is somehow obligated to give us to forgive us and bless us just because we say we believe in him. But we really have no or very little obligation to obey him. And we sometimes we create a gospel and a Jesus that doesn't require a changed life. Where it's possible to feel like a child of God without actually making Jesus our Lord. And but this is not the gospel. This is faith without works. This is presuming God will save us without truly acknowledging him as the holy God that he is. And this is us taking the title of Christ follower without actually putting Christ on the throne of our lives. This is us staying on the throne of our own lives. So sometimes we forget our place before a holy and righteous and just God. I think John, the great preacher Jonathan Edwards does a good job in illustrating this, where he says, it's as if God is holiness over the mouth of hell, and he has no reason to restrain himself from dropping us in to eternal damnation, because we are altogether unclean and corrupt in his sight. But it's because of his sheer love and grace that he provided a way for us to be saved, and that through the death of his precious son. And there aren't words to describe God's love that he would choose to do that. But in light of the sheer mercy, let us not presume that we do not need to obey his words or that we're free to live as we, pre as we please. Sometimes our self-centered version of the gospel often omits two critical truths which out, without which 
the gospel is not complete. And these truths are to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily and follow him. So what does it mean to deny yourself? So denying oneself means laying down our own desires and taking up the desires of our Lord. Denying oneself means putting God's will above our own. It means repenting of all that we know is sin. That is sin. It means putting to death our fleshly desires and submitting to the commands that God has given us in his word. And this is what it is meant by Christian holiness. And holiness is being set apart from the common and being set apart for God. So as Christians, we must not look like the world, but be set apart from the world. And um, we are set apart from the world through our complete obedience to all that Jesus commands. So the Word of God says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's First Peter 1, 14-16. So the language here shows that we have a choice. We have a choice to continue in our lusts or to deny ourselves and be holy. And if we choose obedience to all that God commands, he will help us through the Spirit to continue in obedience. But we must first, we must take the first step in faith. And some may object to this reasoning and say, well, this is legalism. You can't tell me that I have to obey. My obedience doesn't save me. My faith does. But this is what the Apostle James says, or the Apostle James says about this, that faith without works is dead. And that true saving faith over time will produce a holy life. If it is not if your faith is not producing a changed life, it is not saving faith. So legalism is me doing works to earn righteousness before God. But biblical Christian obedience says that I have faith in Jesus, that he is the most holy, almighty God who loves me and suffered for me and made me pure. Therefore, I will obey him because I love him. And I'm grateful to him. And because I believe he possesses all authority. So therefore, by faith, I deny myself and submit to God. So what does it mean to take up one's cross and follow him? Well, the truth is, you can't be holy in a sinful world without suffering. Holiness is incompatible with the sinful world system and it's incompatible with the worldview of natural people when we lead, live and speak the truth in God's word when we choose to obey God rather than man people those who reject God will reject you because you reflect God so John 3.20 says for everyone who hates evil excuse me but anyone who does evil hates the light 
and does not come to the light so that his evil deeds will not be exposed. And this is the root of persecution, that people feel ashamed of their sin, and they seek to silence any voice that um, is convicting them or threatens to expose them as sinners. But taking up our cross means enduring and keeping the faith even through this opposition of persecution and suffering. So to better understand this, we must look at what it meant for Jesus to take up his cross. So Jesus did the will of the Father regardless of the cost. He wasn't interested in seeking fame or money or a life of comfort. He was only interested in pleasing the Father by doing his will. And his obedience led him on a path of suffering, a path of insult and loss, and ultimately his life on earth was cut short. And this is who we are called to follow and imitate. First Peter 2.23 says, While being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Jesus did not fear suffering or defamation and loss, but rather trusted in God through the suffering because he knew who God is, that he's the only righteous judge, and his opinion is the only opinion that matters. So as Christians, we must have the same attitude, which is the attitude of Christ. So taking up our cross daily also means to suffer for Christ by a refusal to compromise with sin. So sometimes it can be painful to deny our flesh and choose not to sin. It can be painful to be humble. It can be painful to refuse to lie, to put away sexual immorality, to put to death greed and slander and disrespect and coveting. It can be painful to remove ourselves from the place of God and put Jesus there instead. And it's a daily battle to choose to honor Christ in every situation. But Jesus defeated sin on the cross, and sin no longer has power over us. Though we suffer by saying no to sin, Jesus gave us the ability to say no and helps us by the Spirit to say no. But it's not automatic. We must still choose to deny ourselves. So saying no to sin may also have other tangible repercussions in our lives. It could cost us friendships and relationships with family. If your job requires you to do something dishonoring to Christ, saying no could sin to sin could cost you your job. Obedience to Christ can negatively affect your financial situation, your education, and even your children's education. It can affect your livelihood, your health, your well-being, and, and even your freedom. And this is usually not preached in gospel presentations, but Jesus wasn't afraid to preach this. And this is what it means to be a Christian. So some people believe that persecution and suffering is a problem that is only in a few foreign countries. But the truth is, all who desire 
to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this is a theme throughout the whole New Testament. So let's not be prideful and say that we are willing to suffer and die for Christ if we're not willing to honor him in obedience um, in the small things in our jobs and relationships. We are called to embrace life as a stranger in this world. And if we embrace life as a stranger, this is where we'll find true life in Christ. So let's return to our verse for today. Start at verse 35. It says, for Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So my challenge to you this evening is to consider these questions of Jesus in these verses. Does it profit you to have comfort and safety and prosperity over following Christ? What would you be willing to give up in order to honor Jesus with obedience? Do I have the faith to say that Jesus is more valuable than my career and my education and my financial security and my children's education? Do we have the faith that obedience to Christ is more, import, more important than my safety and the safety of my wife and my children's safety? Or when the evil day comes and we're put to the test of choosing between our safety and obedience, will we be ashamed of Jesus and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation? So my prayer is that we would choose to take up our cross and suffer with Jesus. Because if we keep the true saving faith, and if we fight the good fight, if we don't deny him, and if we're not ashamed of him, then although we suffer, we will have Christ himself as our reward, both today and throughout eternity. And he will never leave us, and he will give us grace to stand on the evil day as we seek to do his will. So Jesus is our reward for suffering, and when we see him, we'll know that our suffering was more than worth it. Revelation 22.12 says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to reward each as his works deserve. So this is how I was able to stand in faith through four and a half months in prison for doing what God called me to do. I knew we were called to be like Jesus and take up our cross. And I was experiencing some of what Christ himself experienced. And I had close fellowship with him in that. Jesus suffered wrongful imprisonment also for doing God's will. And I felt his favor rest upon me because he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
So finally, wrapping up here, trust in Jesus and do not be afraid. We can't let fear of suffering control us. Jesus says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So just my final exhortation this evening is to be faithful to the point of death. Be faithful regardless of the cost. And by faith, we will enter into eternity, into eternal life with Jesus by his grace. Let's pray. And Father, we just again thank you for what you've done for us on the cross and how amazing your love is for us. That you would die for sinners like us. And Lord, you call us into a a full and blessed life that doesn't look like life to the rest of the world, but it is true life. And Lord, we know that we could never be perfect before you. We know that we'll always fall short. But Lord, I pray that you would have grace for us in our shortcomings and give us grace to stand and give us grace to continue loving you and to and draw ourselves and draw us to you, Lord. I pray that you would bless our week this uh, this week and the rest of the service. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so at this point, I believe we will watch the video. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back up later. So later, Annabelle will come up and we'll have kind of a Q&A time. where you can all talk among yourselves. Because <laughs> that way I won't feel the stress of you staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are close. prison and under house arrest for nearly 11 months in Mozambique. I'll give you a quick overview of the events, but first let me provide some context of why I was being investigated for supporting terrorism in the country. In the spring of 2021, a religious extremist group launched attacks on the northern Mozambique province of Cabo Delgado. We used our aircraft to evacuate refugees and deliver medical aid, food, and relief supplies to people who had fled the fighting. We are based in Nampula, which is in the northern part of Mozambique, but well south of the fighting. There is an orphanage in northern Mozambique that we fly supplies to on a regular basis. I was asked to fly to Inyambani, which is in the southern part of the country, and pick up supplies that were being brought into Mozambique by two orphanage volunteers from South Africa. Just a week prior to this flight, the president of Mozambique suggested that foreigners were helping the terrorists in northern Mozambique. The capital of Mozambique is Maputo, which is in the far south of the country. 
So the news of the fighting in the north was assumed to be that the entire northern part of the country was under attack. So this was a situation we were walking into when police questioned us about the supplies that were to be delivered to the orphanage in the northern part of Mozambique, but nowhere near the fighting. On November 4th, 2022, the orphanage volunteers and I ended up in the local police station's holding cell where we were held over the weekend. On Monday, in a hearing with the judge, he decided that we could be supporting terrorists, much to our attorney's surprise. We were then incarcerated and spent three days in what could be called the city jail. We were then moved to the provincial jail, much like the state penitentiary, for one week, and from there we were transferred by military guard to, the, to a suburb of Maputo, where the Mashaba Maximum Security Prison is located. This would be considered a federal prison in the U.S. Once there, I was in a cell by myself for the first 40 days, also called solitary confinement, and was in this prison for nearly four months. When I was transferred to the maximum security prison without the U.S. Embassy being notified, there was concern that Annabelle might be brought in for questioning. So she and the two boys left Mozambique for the U.S. I was released on March 14th without my passport, returned to our base in Nampula, and had to report to the authorities every 15 days or upon request. I was not able to do any MAF-related work, nor could I leave the country. Annabelle and the boys returned to Nampula so we could be together during this time. My attorney continued to work through the legal system, trying to secure my freedom. Staff from the U.S. Embassy made regular visits to me in prison and could bring me in letters and other items from Annabelle, and they worked their contacts in Mozambique. Idaho Senator Jim Rich, a member of the U.S. Foreign Relations Committee, made a personal contact with the Mozambican president on my behalf. But most importantly, there were numerous believers who were fervently praying for me and Annabelle during this entire time. Your prayers brought about a rather surprising return of my passport and other personal items on September 24th. This allowed me to leave the country, and my family and I returned to MAF headquarters on October 4th. A prosecutor is still investigating, and my attorney believes that it will be June before we know if charges will be filed or the case is dropped. In the meantime, we will remain in the U.S. on furlough and also praying that we can return to Mozambique once the case is concluded. Please join us in prayer for a swift and positive conclusion to the case. Yeah, so the items that got their attention were, first of all, the vitamins. They, they aren't used to seeing that many vitamins um, carried by individual people. Um, and they also were concerned about the, the uh, food preservative, which was several jugs of a chemical that's used to um, um, preserve food. They thought these things were unusual for people to be hiring airplanes to, to carry. They expressed some concern over that. Many times throughout my detainment experience, um, many prisoners asked, you know, so what are you in here for? Um, seeing that you don't look like you necessarily belong here. And I would say, well, I was uh, dealing baby food without a license. <laughs> yeah, so the first weekend in the, in the police station, um, it didn't feel like it was going to turn out that serious. Um, initially felt like this would all just blow over in a, in a couple of days. We'll hear, see the judge and we'll be let go because this stuff is, these items are things that we could buy anywhere in any pharmacy. Um, but once the judge decided that it could be re related to terrorism, um, 
and I got in the truck and started heading out to prison, that was when I started to realize that this was a big deal and it's time for me to start relying on God through this situation instead of on myself. When this all first started happening, you know, I just assumed it's one of those situations that can happen sometimes in other countries and we would hopefully be able to get him out of jail. We had to wait the weekend because it all went down on a Friday and hopefully after the weekend, we'd be able to get it resolved. And there were various points throughout that time that seemed like we were so close to getting him out to at least a hotel or getting him released. It was on Monday night after Ryan had gone before the judge for a hearing and I had received the news. I was on a phone call with one of MAF's leadership and he had received the news of what had happened with regarding Ryan's hearing. And that is when I heard the word terrorism for the first time. And definitely not something I ever thought that I would hear related to Ryan. So that, but that was the moment where, you know, the tears started flowing. And after that call, I realized that this isn't just something that just throw the Christianese or daily life trust in God at like, oh yes, it's all in God's hands. It was, it was truly something where I had to make a very intentional decision that I'm not going to let whatever happens because, you know, my mind goes to all the scenarios of what could happen. I didn't have any frame of reference of time that he could spend in jail if he was convicted. And so realizing that I had to give all of those what ifs over to God and choose that I'm going to trust him and stay, keep my faith in him no matter what happens. So I didn't take a a test to um, see if I was spiritually qualified to go through this. So when I was injected into this situation, um, I had to rely on what I learned about God up until that point. I knew that um, he will always be with me no matter where I go. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian experience. And um, um, also during this time, I learned more that the gospel is really all we need. And that gospel is um, knowing who Jesus is and knowing who we are in him and how we relate to the world through him. And understanding that on a deeper level, which I progressively learned as I went through this experience, understanding that more um, really helped me get through that. But I think one of the most tangible ways that I felt encouraged and sustained through this was knowing that um, the whole body of Christ was out there praying for me and fasting for me um, every day and many times a day. And just knowing that thought was um, very comforting. I found my strength in the Bible. Um, there, you know, there are numerous psalms of David just uh, pouring out his heart to God. And also throughout the psalms, you see how um, it's repeated over and over again about how God hears our prayers and we can call out to him and he hears us. And so finding comfort in his word through knowing that he does hear our prayers and also comfort in who God is and his character, no matter what we go through in life, the highs or the lows, God's character is still the same. And so even though we didn't know from one day to the next what might be going on with Brian's case or with our situation, I knew that I could depend on who God was and that he would be with us through this time. 
I also found comfort in the body of Christ and how they came alongside us in this time, um, being able to know I could ask for prayer and that people would be praying for us. And we had so many people who just provided for our needs. We went from a hot, humid uh, Mozambique to coming to Idaho in dead winter and snow. And people provided for even just those needs within the church of you know, snow gear and and warmer clothes. And I would say that there are three things that I learned from this situation. The first one would be um, about relying on the character of God and keeping that in the forefront of just how I approach situations. Who God is, is separate from what I experience. And what I experience will change on a daily basis. And sometimes that, it could be a horrible situation, but God is still good. And his plan is still for his glory and for our good, no matter what it may look like in the moment. And so I can trust in that. I also learned about lamenting and being able to hold grief and cry out to the Lord um, just in, in deep grief while still keeping full faith in who he is and not doubting that he is good. Um, there, it's, a, it's an and, not a but or an or, uh, but being able to hold both of those together and truly understanding how to lament. And then I'd say the third thing is just the importance of praying and fasting as the body of Christ and coming together um, for other believers and really for our missionaries overseas. Uh, oftentimes, we're not always with as big of a body of Christ as we may experience in a more Christianized uh, nation. And so to be able to know that we still have that support from believers around the world, and we see that in the Bible too, we see that it really affected Paul and Peter's ministries and in their times in jail as well. Yeah, so I learned a lot about what it means to suffer as a Christian. And we see in the Bible, you know, in the New Testament, um, Jesus and Paul and Peter they all talk a lot about suffering, and um, I learned that suffering uh, is part of God's plan for us, and it's there to to refine us and to build our character. Jesus says that, you know, blessed are you when you suffer persecution and shame for his name. Um, and I actually learned, learned that and experienced that for myself. Um, I felt, when I felt shame, shame from this experience. Um, I felt like I was standing up there with Christ and standing with all the other Christians who have gone before me and suffered things far worse. Um, and it was just a, a wonderful thing to be in that fellowship. And um, God was, I know that God was with me um, in a special way during that time. I was in my cell, and they, they told me to get dressed in um, orange attire to because I was going to the, the courthouse. Um, I didn't know where I was going, but um, I assumed I'd meet my lawyer there. So we left. Um, I was dressed in orange. I was handcuffed. A few days before, they had shaved my head and shaved my beard and mustache. And then uh, I went to this public place, the courthouse, to meet with my lawyer. And soon after that, we went to the airport. Um, you know, it's a public airport. And I had to, I walked through the lobby and out on the, the flight, the tarmac, where the airplane was. Um, 
still dressed in orange and handcuffed, surrounded by policemen. And it was a, it was quite a shameful experience. Um, but I was also felt joy in that situation because I knew I was suffering for doing what God called me to do. And I knew he was with me uh, in a special way during that time. I could just feel the fellowship of being with him in his sufferings and with all the other Christians who had gone before me. And it helps me to appreciate the, the suffering that Jesus went through because he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people were shouting Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a week later, less than a week later, he was being led away, um, beaten and totally ashamed and spit upon to die. And uh, that happening in such a short time, it just, it just gives me a new appreciation for what Jesus went through for me. So if, if the case is dismissed or dropped, we plan to return to Mozambique and continue serving there as we were before. Uh, we still feel that, that God is calling us to go there and um, we love the people there and we trust in God for his protection and his continued provision. And we know the road may not be smooth and hasn't been so far, but we trust in God's uh, guidance that he'll be through with us through any hard times that we have ahead. And um, just one thing I would like to say is, you know, we believe it's God's will that we go back and we're committed to following wherever he leads, regardless of what the cost would be. Yeah, I'd just like to, I like to think about why we went to Mozambique to begin with, and that's because we believe God is calling us to be a part of his plan to reach the Mozambican people with the true gospel. Um, and so that hasn't changed. That's still the same. When we went to Mozambique, we didn't think of it as a job relocation, but rather that we were moving in obedience to God, knowing that there would be hard. We didn't think that this is what the hard would be, but it's still God is the same no matter what, and our obedience to him isn't dependent on what we will go through. It's dependent on whether or not we choose to trust in who he is, and so we choose to go back, and whatever God's will is, our answer is yes. both come on up and then Sam if you could help get us set up with like chairs here I don't, so that, that's kind of my hope that we'll actually so that way we don't make them stand um, <laughs> you, got, you got stools and we got stools there. okay we'll get cool. your stool back John if you'd rather have a stool you can have a stool and, oh excellent there we go thank you alright well then I'll take the chair that's comfortable with the pad <laughs> Um, so, so I have a couple of things I wanted to ask, but also as I was doing that, I, I just want to give a chance if there's anybody that has any questions that occurred to you as you were hearing all of that, um, this is a nice small setting, so we get a chance to do, do that. Um, and, uh, and so feel free to respond as you know, long or short as you want. That's t- totally fine. Um, and a couple of things that occurred to me. One thing is... Um, you mentioned the question at the beginning of, of would you be able to handle it if, if this ended up being a 28-year experience mm-hmm. in 
prison, which sounds really horrible, obviously. Um, and so, so I'm wondering, could you say a little more about about that? How so? So, what's the process that mm-hmm. went on, or maybe is still going 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 on for you? Yeah, that's a that's one of the things I struggled with the most. I think, or wrestled with the most with God over is, you know, like if like I didn't really have much of a choice. Like, but if I got sent to jail for if I stayed there for 28 years. Um, you know, would I still say, thy will be done to God? And, yeah, it's a very difficult question. I think um, it really challenges, like, challenges my understanding of God and life on this earth, you know, because I can understand it if I did something and I went to jail for it. Like, that's oh, that's logical, right? But is it logical to be in jail without doing something um, just because, and you know, God's the one that's in control of these things. Like, obviously, it would be His will that I was there. Um, you know, and there's other factors like the devil is involved also, but you know, ultimately, God is in control. And I had to realize, you know, God doesn't always give a happy ending. Um, you know, He allows huh? on, earth. on earth. He doesn't allow, or He doesn't always give a happy ending on earth. There's a lot of Christians who who go to jail for 28 years. Um, there's a lot of Christians who go to jail for 28 years and then get executed. There's not always a happy ending um, for being a Christian. And that's something that I had to realize that, you know, that's why to me obedience is such a big thing. You know, we have to trust in God through that. And that really develops your faith. And it may not be pretty, it may not be, um, what do they call it, uh, sensational. <laughs> it's not always a sensational thing. A lot, you know, suffering is real and it hurts, and you just have to keep trusting, going back to who God is, and looking to Him for strength through that situation. So, if I did go to jail for twenty-eight years, would I be happy about it? I don't, probably not. I don't think God calls us to be happy that we're suffering, but he does call us to rejoice in it. Um, we don't have to say, oh, this is great, I'm suffering, but we do. We should still say, Lord, we praise you through this. And we know that you're in control and you are the righteous judge. And we know that you will bring justice at some point. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> good. That, yeah. That's good. But I imagine it, it doesn't look exactly the same from your point of view, right? I mean, so being the mom and the wife who who had to face those same issues and still is having to face that same stuff. So I'm wondering, how did that look for you? Um, so for me, I actually, he at least had some frame of reference, 28 years. I'm like, my wife in prison? Like, I don't know what, what they might charge him with if they charged him. And so, you know, there's... Like I like I said in the video, there there was a moment where I had to struggle with that too. Is I don't know what's going to happen in this, but I still have to decide. I have to decide: Am I going to trust God no matter what happens? That His plan is for good. That He will be with us no matter what. That might mean like there. I, I remember that moment and thinking like: Am I going to be raising these two boys like on my own? And they're not going to 
know, like they might not have any memories of Ryan and it's not like we can live in Mozambique so we wouldn't have been able to visit him. We would have had to come back here and live here. Are you going to come with us? <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's definitely that wrestling, but I can't, you know, I came to the same conclusion because of what I know about who God is. And, and I do know that he is good and he controls everything. If, if there's something that's going on that, you know, like with Job, Satan was able to attack Job or not personally, but, you know, God gave him permission. It still stems from God allowing these things to happen. And in James, it talks about how we are sanctified through our trials. And so we might not always know what the reason is. Even now, you know, we can speculate areas that we think that, um, (laughs) the areas that we think that God was working in that time, but I don't think we'll ever fully know what his plan was or is and you know I think we also have to be okay with that because we're not God Mm -hmm. and so we don't have to know his plan for it to be good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the kind of you know we we like the idea of you know we trust in God and we'll be safe and Mm -hmm. you know that has proven to not exactly be true yeah Um, yeah we trust in God and we're safe spiritually we trust in God, and we will never die eternally. Mm-hmm. But we will still die on earth, and we will still suffer suffer on earth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life as you know it could end at some point, and then you could have suffering for a long period in your life. And, um, you know, God will, you have to realize that God will and can allow that, uh, even if you trust in him. <laughs> yeah. And. You know, that was a real realization that I had to wrestle with. Um, yeah. And, but I do firmly believe that, you know, the suffering is not worthless and it's not um, meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, it says in Psalm 22 that God doesn't deci- despise the suffering of the righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he doesn't despise it. He, it's for a purpose and there will be rewards for it. So you're both coming off now as really spiritual which is cool but I'm just wondering was, was there in all of this process was there any time when it wasn't that good when it was like when there was a feeling of overwhelm and a feeling like wow I don't know if I can handle this I mean I, I know it it probably doesn't sound believable and I really think it's because we had such a strong foundation I mean I don't want to speak for you but like such a strong foundation prior with knowing who God was and like I can see in especially in that year leading up in ways that he had been training us through the just the different um, sermons we would listen to and and different um, yeah Bible studies we would do together that that he was he was training us to know who he was you know really deepening that so, like I said, that moment when I hear terrorism and I'm, like, crying and I get off that phone call. And so after that, our program manager and his wife lived just next door. So they were coming over after the boys would go. So the boys were in bed when that happened. The boys would go to bed and they'd come over after they had their meetings with leadership and um, via Zoom. And then they'd come over and give me, like, their update of what happened that day. So I had this call with someone who was in the U.S. on MAF leadership I get off the phone and, like, that moment of 
oh my goodness, is this, is this real? Is this possible? Like, how can this be good? How can this be what God, we haven't even been here a year yet. Like, this really is what God put us through all this waiting for, for us to be here at this, like for this to be the end of it. Like it just didn't, it didn't make sense. But that, that lasted minutes because I know who God is. And so the Holy Spirit bring, brought that back to me in remembrance of no, but my plan is always good. And so that's when I had the moment of, well, I have to choose that I'm just going to trust and know that God's plan is good. Even when I don't understand in the moment what's going on um and so by the time that the our neighbors the program manager and his wife had come over like I was still crying and like trying to wrap my head around everything but like my spirit was still was calm like I knew Mm -hmm. spiritually it still didn't change the practicality of the situation being overwhelming though if that makes sense. <laughs> you still allowed yourself the yeah. real tears of this right. real yeah. crisis. Yeah. Right. That's why at least there's still the grief, but also the, the knowledge that, you know, we are secure in the Lord and that his will is still good above all. But, you know, I, you think back to in the Bible with Lazarus, right? Like Jesus wept. He knew what he was going to do. And yet he still wept with his friends because he still was compassionate towards their sorrow. He didn't say, don't you know that I've got this? He wept with them. And so I don't think, you know, there's anything wrong with practically having the emotions that we have as humans while still having that peace in our spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for me, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah, there was, yeah, I don't know if I ever felt necessarily overwhelmed I felt very confused very like my life had been turned upside down like I was free a day ago now I'm sleeping in this dungeon of a jail you know mm-hmm. and you. you know I've been carried around all these different jails in a short period of time and meeting all these criminals and stuff and I had no idea what was going on and um but through that time I think what you said describes it really well there despite the outward like confusion and chaos and not knowing there was an inner peace and for me that peace was knowing that God is with me through all of this and um, I was strongly aware during that time that if I despaired at any point that would be a sin you know despairing the thought of despairing felt sinful mm-hmm. it'd be like I was no longer trusting God and I'm just throwing in the towel um, and that was you know, a repulsive thought to me. Um, and that, I think God gave me that to you know, keep, keep the faith with him, keep persevering and hoping in him um, and looking to him for all the strength and the comfort I need. Yeah. So during the four months, were you there <clears throat> with books and stuff, or was there, was, was there none of that supply? Yeah, so early on, I had um, Annabelle sent me a bag with a Bible in it. A little pocket New Testament, so I had that early on. With the Psalms and Psalms and New Testament, yeah. um, and then later I got more Bibles. I had several Bibles, and I was able to give away several. Um, oh, nice! Thank you. But That's uh, you. yeah, they were able to bring in books. So I asked for. We were able to exchange notes in the beginning, mm-hmm. so I asked for 
you know, a big list of books um, that we had, in our that we had at our house, yeah. and they were able to fly it down to, to Maputo, where I was being held, and um, send it in, you know, with the jail's permission, send it in to me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so I was able to read a lot of good books in there. I read um, um, The Insanity of God, which is a good one, um, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Uh-huh. I read um, um, The Cost of Discipleship by Bonifer. Oh, good choice. <laughs> I read Hearts of Fire by The Voice of the Martyrs. And all of those, all of those people in all of those books, you know, they all suffered similar things and worse. And it was, that was very encouraging to me to see their example of how they stood up to suffering and, and how their faith was played out and how God eventually, you know, some of them, God didn't eventually save them out of that, but a lot of them he did. It's just God's sovereign choice of who was the martyr and who was not. Um, but in either case, God's plan had fruit later. Yeah. You know, so that was, yeah. it was really comforting to me to read all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the getting him the books was even, I think the first time we got him the books, they, we got them in. Okay. But I heard the second time that when our national staff or it might've been the lawyer had brought in a stack of books, they were like, mm, one at a time. And so they were going to give him one at a time. And they look through them, and they're like, hey, two at a time. And then they look through them more, and it turns out they just ended up giving him the whole stack. <laughs> but we were like, well, if they give him one at a time, then maybe they'll take time to read the other ones. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Was, um, was there a psalm or any scripture that stood out during this time? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think the two verses I remember the most that encouraged yeah. me in a big way was all of Psalm 22, yeah. um, which, you know, it's about Jesus, but Jesus is the example. I think it's applicable to suffering saints as well. Like, maybe not all the descriptions of the suffering, like that happened to Jesus literally, um, basically literally, but, you know, it says, like, in the beginning part, it's talking about how, you know, I grew up in your house, I was faithful to you, I've always done good, but now they're surrounded by all these people and they're you know, persecuting me and doing all these terrible things to me, you know, and like, why have you forsaken me, God? And, and then, like I mentioned earlier, it comes around to the conclusion that God hasn't actually forsaken him, but God is not despising the suffering that happens. And, and people will be, or people will see and praise God through that situation. Um, It's kind of like the resolution of the psalm. And that was really, you know, it's much deeper than that. That's just off the top of my head. But yeah. it's it's just very, like, comforting that, yes, God validates the feeling of, like, I haven't done anything wrong and I'm being persecuted. Like, that's a, you know, God writes about that um, in the Bible. And, you know, he's sympathetic towards that yeah. in Psalm 22. And the other verse would be the one I shared tonight, um, Revelation 2.10. Yeah. Um, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you in jail for ten days um, to test you, um, and then, but you know Jesus isn't surprised. He's not like, "Oh, get out or fight your way out." He says, um, "Be faithful unto death, and and you will have the crown of life." So that was very impactful to me and encouraging to, you know, whatever happens, be faithful, even if it's to the point of death. You know, which. Obviously, it didn't get that far, but 
mm-hmm. it was just very inspirational to me. Um, and it's it's a test, you know. It's, the devil is testing um, the Christian, like he's throwing us in jail to test us, or God or the devil, or you know, however that <laughs> works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's God is seeing like who is faithful and. Will I still follow through this? Yeah, but in the same way that Job didn't know, you didn't yeah. know yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly how does this work? What part of this is exactly. God? What part of this is Satan? Exactly. God doesn't seem all that concerned about <clears throat> making sure we know that. Right, right. Exactly. He, he just calls us to keep keep trusting, mm-hmm. regardless of who does what. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's doesn't matter. It, it can make the least amount of sense possible, but he still wants us to faithfully follow him in all those situations. Yeah, and it may mean more because you know less, right? Yeah. I mean, it, may, it might mean more to him because you know less, right? Yeah. Because you're going to have to trust. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, so we got a little bit of time. Who who else has anything else that you want to ask? Okay, let's start with Randy. How did, how did Angel? How did you deal with trying to explain to your boys what was going on, and then also when he came back, how did they react? Sure. So, Hezekiah was pretty much didn't didn't understand a whole lot of what was going on. He wasn't even two yet. He turned two during the detainment, actually. Um, Elias, so when Ryan had gone on the flight, it was initially an overnight flight um, just because of turnaround to come back and and the they don't fly at night in Mozambique. Um, and so, but there was weather. And so it got delayed an extra night. And so I already had to tell Elias, like, oh, daddy's, you know, it's going to be another night because of the rain, we'll see him, you know, after one more sleep or whatever. Um, And so then when this happened, it was like, we still thought we'd be, Ryan would be able to get out maybe the next day or after the weekend. And so still kind of kept that, that same sense of, oh, daddy, you know, will just be another day, but he'll, he's coming home. Um, Once it started getting longer and more uncertain, I don't remember exactly at what point, I told him that the airplane was stuck, which was true because they confiscated the airplane as well. So I told them that the airplane was stuck, and so Daddy couldn't get home right now, and Grandpa Rowland, who's our program manager on the team, um, that he was helping trying to get Daddy out and, you know, that we can be praying and stuff. So that's what he knew until, I can't remember, I think it was late January, early February, somewhere in there, um, and he... I couldn't shield him from like the conversations that were just like people were coming over. They had to update me. Like I could tell that he had questions. Like he knew something was wrong or different, but he didn't know how to ask. So I, what I told him was that people were telling lies about daddy. And so they put him in jail. Um, but that God was with him and that daddy was sharing about God in the jail. And they, for Hezekiah's birthday, when he had turned two, one of the things I bought him was a book that tells the story of Paul and Silas in the jail and how the jailer came to know Christ. And Hezekiah ran to get the book when he heard me telling Elias this. Um, so I think he like saw the parallels there. And so then I ended up using that as like the basis to tell, yeah, like like Paul and Silas, you know, they were they were put in jail for something they didn't do. And so, you know, but God was with them and they shared the gospel and we can be praying for the people who are telling lies about daddy too. And we can be praying that daddy comes home and God's with us. And 
and he Elias actually had known that prior to knowing all of this he I was reading my uh, journal that I had been doing during portions of this and I notated that he asked told me once that he missed being in Mozambique and missed certain people in Mozambique and then he got quiet and he told me but God's still with us and so he he grasped the concept to whatever extent that a three-year-old at the time could grasp it um but that's that's basically how that went and then um yeah when Ryan got released they did we video called him at first and they were like so he can come here now like they were not grasping like he's there he's out so why is he not here (laughs) but they were very excited when we saw him at the airport when we got back to Mozambique yeah 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 Yeah. cool and yeah Lisa Ryan when you were in prison Uh I'm sure God gave you opportunities to share Mm -hmm. to explain what the Lord did with your time there to the other prisoners and yeah. how that all worked. I mean, you know God is good. Yeah. Um, so I felt very compelled to share, um, at least during the first month or so. Um, you know, I had just been thrown in, into prison, so I bounced around between four prisons or four jails. Um, so, like, the second jail I went to, this is, like, right after I got arrested officially and went to the second jail and they put me in a cell with like three young Mozambican men um and I was like I was walking down to the cell and I'm like okay I don't know how this is gonna go I've never been to jail before like especially like I have no idea what jails are like here or anything um like am I gonna be safe am I gonna live through the night like kind of thing and so I they opened the door and uh, I see these three guys that are just sitting there in a row, just staring at me. And I'm like, one dia, <laughs> like hello, like, and uh, like, start, like shook their hands, started talking. I was like, I'm just gonna go the friendly route, you know. <laughs> and uh, and they turned out to be really friendly guys. Um, they were really interested in like you know, who I was in the U.S. And in our early conversations, I, you know, had let them know that I'm a missionary and kind of told them the situation and stuff and. You know, this is why I'm here and sharing the love of Jesus in this country. And, you know, this happened, so I don't know what's going on, but, you know, and I, I kind of, my, the, I made sure that they knew, like, kind of just naturally, I made sure that they knew that I was trusting in God through the situation. And a lot of times I would be sitting there reading that little Bible, and, like, the, the leader of these three guys, would, he would, like, come over and sit next to me. And the Bible's in English, and he speaks Portuguese. And I speak a little bit of Portuguese, so I, I would try to, like, translate, like, the Psalms to him and kind of explain theologically what's going on. And the Psalms are a lot of, like, why is this happening, Lord, and but I still trust in you kind of themes. And I was able to communicate that to him a bit. And then at one point when they were all, all three of them were sitting there, I was able to share the gospel with them yeah. in total um in portuguese which may not have been in total but um, (laughs) yeah i there was no like you know amazing conversion experiences um i I was able to share the gospel a few a couple other times and mentor some people a little bit in the, the next jail and um 
you know, it's not like you go there and then all of a sudden people are just coming to Christ and falling yeah. on their knees. Like, that's not how it is, especially in a nation where it's been, that's a post-Christian nation kind of where Catholicism has been around. Everyone knows the general gospel. But I think the, one of the ways that God was able to use me the most, I believe, is, you know, they finally saw someone who is actually living what they believe. Um, and keeping, you know, being able to continue to trust in God and not just cursing everyone and and being upset and angry, but being able to trust God through this false imprisonment. Um, and I think they don't they don't see people who actually live out their faith very often. I'm not claiming that I do it perfectly or anything, but I think that's probably one of the be- best ways that, or the yeah best ways that God used me during that time. Um, from my perspective. So I don't know if, what impact I made during the short time I was with some of these people, but I pray that they just remember what the Lord told them through me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I have one other thing just for each of you real fast is that um, when you shared your three things in the video, the one thing that stood out to me, and I was wondering if you could say a little more about it, is that your 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 sense of God's character and who he is kind of became a deeper thing for you. Could could you yeah. say a little, a little more, more about how that works in this kind of crisis? Yeah, so it's not that I didn't know these things beforehand, right, but yeah. they became so much more real, and I was actually, like, processed that thought when I was in um, like a a counseling like session that MAF had set up for me with someone and we were just talking through this and like that just kind of like like as I was processing it that thought just kind of like poured out of me was like you know I think the, the question that the lady had posed to me was what um like why do you think that you can like you have this faith during this time and it's not like it's not like making you waver during this season and I was explaining that like I think because a lot of times in today's culture we see God through our circumstances we mm-hmm. people ask the questions well how is God good if da 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 is going on and it's I think that I have such I have had a strong foundation just growing up in the church and the kind of influences God has put in my life in these past few years even um, that I have a strong foundation of knowing who he is and what the what his word says about who he is. And so I know that he's not he's unchanging. I know that his character is the same. And I know the Bible says that he is good. And I know that it says his plans are for his glory and for our good. So if he is good and his plans are for good, then even though I'm looking at this here and I'm like, like how is me traveling 48 hours with a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I'm having to carry this backpack that's like the size of me on my back (laughs) that has a car seat in it and like without a husband without my husband and not knowing what's going on and like just having no frame of reference how is that that doesn't seem good and so I think people can question and say well if God is putting me through this and this doesn't seem good then he can't be good because how can a good God cause something that's not good? But the thing is, is we don't have the mind of God. 
we have such a finite understanding of what is going on. We only see what's happening in front of us, and God sees beginning from beginning to end. And so he knows what this is going to do, what chain of events this causes, you know, in future lives even that we might not ever see eternal consequences eternal things in our lives (laughs) (laughs) he's saying hi hi to the people at home (laughs) eternal things uh consequences in our lives that we might not understand in the moment so just understanding that god is good and his character is unchanging and that means that even depending on what my circumstances that's not going to change who he is and having a strong enough faith in who he is um that i don't that i'm not like questioning it in the in in like deeply you know like yeah we might think for a moment but how can you do this god right but we're not actually like thinking well you can't be real and you can't be good because this isn't good i know that he is good Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not making my situation is not making mm-hmm. me question his character. Yeah. 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 And we've said those kinds of things, but when we hear that in the midst of that crisis, it means a whole lot more. Yeah. Exactly. That's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then there was one thing you said really fast at the beginning that I just wanted to give you a chance to say a little more about is sure. the the issue of your sense of the identity in Christ mm-hmm. and that that. Apparently, if I heard you right, that kind of became a deeper thing throughout this experience of kind of not knowing what's going to happen day, day to day. So I'm wondering if you could say more, yeah. more about, about that. Yeah, so I believe I said, you know, the gospel is knowing who Christ is, knowing who I am in Christ, yeah, and then knowing how to interact with the world through Christ or something to that effect. Um, and I think I really got refocused on you know, my Christianity needs to be about Christ because he is, like, the center of everything that we do. Um, and I think it's that that realization, my, my fallacy was a product of just, um, like, hearing all the teachings, hearing, like, how we should live as Christians and who God is and, like, what he expects and all this stuff. But we just kind of teach it as, like, standalone things. Yeah. But there's a reason like everything in the Bible connects back to Jesus. Hmm. Um, it's nothing standalone. We, we don't need to be good just for being good. We'd be good. We're good because of Jesus. We don't love our enemies for no reason. We love our enemies because of Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, the whole, I could see like reading through the Bible really quickly. I read it through it about two times in jail and just seeing the connection and how it all points to Jesus. Um, I think, and, and just seeing like Jesus is our champion and he's our Lord and, um, following him is the most worthy thing we can ever do. Yeah. Um, it's the most meaningful thing we can ever do. And that's why he, we're here is so we can follow him and glorify him and have that relationship with him. And sometimes I think that just gets a little bit muddled in our church circles and all of our the stuff we listen yeah, to and a little bit. The, yeah. our preaching. And I think the gospel gets a little bit muddled and it becomes a little bit less about Jesus and more about the peripheral things of mm-hmm. self. Because um, we all have that tendency just to go back to ourselves. <laughs> and I think that we see that in just the general Christian, American Christian teaching sometimes. Um, so 
yeah, I was deeply challenged to follow Jesus in a more real way. And, you know, the things that I do matter and the things that I do should always be honoring to him because he's the one who actually bought me. And he is, you know, it says right in the Bible, which I kind of had been blind to, like, we need to actually follow him in a very real way on a daily basis. Um, you know, we shouldn't be, um, you know, we go to church on Sunday and then just kind of like forget, forget about Jesus the rest of the week <laughs> or to yeah. some, some flavor or some degree of that. Right. We, it needs to be our whole lives need to be originate, you know, our act, all of our actions and thoughts and desires should originate with Jesus and then flow out from there. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a process and maybe it takes going to jail to move along in that process. But um, that's, that's something that I realized is, you know, Jesus is just all important in our faith and in our churches and um that kind of inspired this the sermon that i gave today yeah and and then understanding who you are in jesus is you know we are like absolutely forgiven and you know we don't need to bring um like keep carrying guilt and shame from our past and you know we we have all done bad stuff and stuff that we regret a lot and you know we are we are cleansed of that if we continue, when we continue in faith and we believe in Jesus, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, just having that, knowing that we're ch- children of God and we are on this journey with Jesus, you know, and we are different than the world and we are strangers here. You know, that's who we are in Christ. And, um, so we can't just live like the rest of the world. We can't just live in our flesh. We need to follow him. And that's, that's kind of like who we are in him. Um, and then lastly, like how do we, how do we relate to the world? And that's where the loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you and um, you having grace for people and having forgiveness for people and seeing people as Jesus sees them and not judging people. Like you know, we need to we need to see them. Yeah, basically, it's just we need to see them as God sees them. Um, you know, we we. Um, yeah, we, you know, Jesus has forgiven me, and therefore I need to forgive others. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't it, mean we we excuse. Yeah, we don't excuse. We don't or, excuse. Or yeah, anything like that. Right, but we understand. Like people, I guess what I'm trying to say is we understand that we were once sinners, mm-hmm. and we need to have. We need to see ourselves as. We have been saved out of that sin, but we're still surrounded by people who have not been saved out of that yet. Mm-hmm. And that's how we relate. We relate with the love of Jesus for these people who have not been saved out of their sin yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not, we need to, yeah, we need to keep preaching the truth to them and in love, and we need to forgive them because we are forgiven. Um, and again, it just flows through what Jesus has done for us, and that's how we see the world. Um, we can't be prideful and say we're better better than others because of our faith because you know we're really not it's by God's grace that we're saved not yeah. because of what we've done yeah um, so yeah that that kind of all ties together in a big yeah. bundle yeah, called cool. the gospel you know yeah yeah so so as far as next steps what are the next <laughs> steps i mean you're still kind of waiting to hear back yeah right and so there's still things that could happen um, that could go well or not, mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. So, so we are waiting for. So first of all, we're on furlough. Oh, um, we're on normal furlough. That we're scheduled MF, for a furlough. Yeah. Scheduled now furlough. Anyway. So we're here for a few months. I forget how long, <laughs> um, but the, our furlough will be up in April, around April. However, MAF will not let us go back to Mozambique until the case is officially closed, <laughs> and which is yeah. smart, you know. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> um, so, the what we think is the prosecutor in Mozambique will just let the time run out on the case. Um, he has a certain amount of time to investigate, and then he must come to a conclusion. Either bring charges either, or drop it. Yeah, either bring charges or drop it. So, the the date is May fourth. That's when he needs to finish. As far as we're aware, things yeah. are flexible. <laughs> yeah, he needs to have a disposition by May 4th. Um, so, and then possibly a month after that, we can go back. Yeah. As soon as, like, the paperwork all fizzles through. Um, and, and we don't really expect any charges at this point. And the reason we don't expect charges is they gave me my passport back. Right. And if they think... If there was any possibility that I did anything to them, they would never give my passport okay. back. So, and, and he was given permission to fly yeah. back in Mozambique again, too. So Mozambique would let us go back and resume life as normal if we were to go back right now. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's like I said, just MAF is wanting us to stay, and we agree with that until the case is completely resolved so they wouldn't give him permission to go flying again if they thought Got it. that he was actually doing right. the things they say exactly. yeah. Right. yeah so so what do you guys need now i mean what 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 would be in terms of between now and then when everything gets resolved finally what do you guys need now what what would be things that that would really kind of help to make this time better yeah um we have i think we're pretty well taken care of in a lot of ways um so we would need prayer, prayer, um, prayer that the case would be resolved finally and that we could go back and that the Lord would continue to lead us as we navigate that. Um, and, you know, we always need, um, you know, prayer partners and financial partners as well. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty well supported at this point. We're over 100% supported. Um, however, that fluctuates from time to time, so we're always looking for financial partners who would like to, um, you know, partner with what we're doing in Mozambique and help put us on the field and keep right. us there. Uh-huh. If um, you feel led by the Lord to do that, um, is there anything else you think we would need? Can't think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're gonna pray, um, and so um, we're we're going to go ahead and have a few folks come come. Uh,